but certainly it looks like God is going to intervene. I think you know he has to intervene. How long before the creator of heaven and earth intervenes where they're having more and more of this same-sex marriage and in the paper today they had more stuff coming out, more information about these transgender people, transvestites and all these weird people and now they're wondering, these liberal colleges who believe in all this stuff, now they're wondering whether to put these people who say they're now women, but they really are men, in women's dorms. Are they going to let them live in with the girls? They say that most of them probably will. They've got to be political correct, so what are they going to do? There is a very real Satan the devil. A very real Satan the devil. And you young people don't get it perhaps as much as we older people who lived a long time. Those things would not even have been talked about, let alone done, when I was growing up. Many of us back in Missouri would have literally beaten them up and run them out of town. We might have thought it was bad, but we would never have let that happen. They wouldn't let that kind of talk be on the radio. They wouldn't let that talk be in our radio, on our, tel our television, or in our, our newspapers. They wouldn't have permitted it. But now it seems like a few years later to me and to many of us who are getting old, it's mainstream. And if you don't believe all this crazy stuff, then they think you're out of date. Well, they're the ones that are out of date. And this whole society is going to change. And I guarantee you, brethren, with all my heart, it won't be too many more years before the Creator intervenes and shakes this nation and shakes the whole world in a way they've never been shaken. And they've got to have that. They just don't understand anything. They get nothing straight. They're trying to change the very face of the earth to change human nature, to make men into women and women into men, and to pretend that the difference in races don't exist, to pretend the races difference in our peoples as such don't make any difference. God says so. God describes those things. They're good. God made us different for a reason. He didn't intend us all to be one sex or one race or one anything. But mankind's trying to change all that, and they're going to be very hurt for it. So God is going to intervene, and I hope that you're praying every day that that is a, really a, a terrible thing, what's happening to our society. God's going to bring many more Chattanooga-like murders. They're saying all religions are the same. No, all religions are not the same. And yet you know that's political correctness tonight. You're not supposed to be bad, say anything bad about the Muslims and about their tendency to kill and murder. Yet you look at all the headlines, and Mohammed is over there killing someone all over the Middle East, and a guy named Mohammed is the one who killed these soldiers, these Marines in Chattanooga. I don't want to condemn everybody named Mohammed, but I mean that particular group have a great problem, and we're stupid if we don't understand it. We're stupid. People didn't used to be like that. They used to realize that there are certain natures that the Jewish people have, certain strengths and certain weaknesses, Certain weaknesses we Anglo-Saxons have, certain weaknesses and strengths the Scottish. They used to talk about the Scottish being stubborn and saving money and the Jews making a lot of money and all things and things like that. The different nature of the Germans, they understand that. Very capable people. I'm partly German myself, as I've told you. But the Germans themselves are frightened and many mainstream articles have come out recently in different magazines and in the Wall Street Journal showing that many of the older German people are a little bit alarmed that they're beginning to rearm and rearm and rearm. They know what that leads to because that particular grace, that particular whatever you want to call them, that ethnic group 
has within their nature, when the drums start beating and the trumpets start playing, they want to get on the march. German overall is, Germany overall, they're going to say. And they'll get another strong man. God says that. That's the way it is. You've got to get your mind cleaned up, all of you, brethren, and you young people from this political correctness. You say, Mr. Meredith, you're out of date. No, they are out of date. It's all going to change within the next 15 or 20 years. And we will understand the differences in the sexes and in the races and in the various ethnic groups and the different groups of mankind. The differences are good. We want to emphasize it with God's help. We're all going to be the same in the sense of the, of the spiritual part of it. Well, God wants that part to be the same. Anyway, we got to wake up and come out of political correctness. And because of all that and these things that are happening, many people have lost sight of God. The mainstream ministers do not know what's going to happen. And they don't understand the reason behind all of that. And so more and more Protestants are dropping out and becoming nuns. They don't go to any church at all. They've given up. They have nothing they're learning at the mainstream churches. Or they're becoming Roman Catholic. Because the Catholics at least seem to stand for something. But as a whole, they're letting this same-sex marriage go in without saying much about it. We all know that. So our Western world, brethren, is learning to despise God. You know that. They despise God. If they turn away from everything that God says, they are despising God. We say on our coins, in God we trust. And we used to be called a Christian nation. But when Barack Obama became president, he said, one thing we're not, we're not a Christian nation anymore. And we're becoming something else. Remember, that was one of his first speeches. And that is true. That is what is happening to us right before our eyes. And boy, it's happening big time. And those of us who are older can really realize how serious it is. Turn back, if you would, to Leviticus. Turn with me, brethren, to Leviticus chapter 26. And God tells our people at the beginning, the first several verses, if you keep my Sabbaths and walk in my statutes, I'll bless you in every way. Then he says, Leviticus 26, verse 14. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, plural, God's commandments, all ten of them, and if your heart despise my statutes, what are God's statutes talking about? They say that if you have one man has sex with another man, why, it's a horrible thing. He calls it an abomination. It's an abomination before God. And back under the old covenant, we're not to practice that today, but he called for the death penalty. They were to be taken and stoned. That's what God thought about it, the creator. So if you do not obey my commandments and despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, but break my covenant, I will do this to you. This was written to our ancestors, the peoples of Israel. And God says, my word stands. God says, I am the ever-living one. I do not change. We'll be reading that a little bit later. You know, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same. The basic civil law and approach to these things is the same. We don't carry out the death penalty, but God will. Later on, he'll carry it out on these people if they do not repent. We hope they'll repent, but it's still an abomination. So he says, I will do this to you if you keep on with this stuff. I will even appoint terror over you. The first thing to hit us a few years ago is the terrorist attack on, our, on the Pentagon and the Twin Towers. Wasting disease. The greatest wasting disease in modern times is cancer. They don't call it that, but that's what it is. It just tears a person apart. 
It's killing millions of people, including both my wives. Cancer. Most of us hate it if we've had friends killed by cancer. And now the more famous one, of course, is AIDS. How that tears people apart and their whole body comes apart because they've been breaking God's law usually. Or some little child is, has the problem because of his parents and what they've done. So wasting disease and fever, which will consume the eyes and cause sorrow of your heart, you'll sow your seed in vain. God's going to gradually cut back on our crops. The West Coast is getting drought, wildfires now, raging in Oregon and Washington and other states out there. California is suffering the worst drought in modern history. It's going right on. So you'll sow and seed in vain. He says, verse 18, after all this, if you do not repent or obey me, then I will punish you seven times for your sins, or sevenfold, it can't be translated, and I will break the pride of your power. He said he would bring our nation down, and boy, he's doing that. Right before our eyes, our nation is more and more despised. And now the Iranians are pushing us into a terrible deal, apparently, that's frightening the Israelis to death. And many of the other Arab nations, including Saudi Arabia, are terribly upset because our country is being sold out to the enemy. We're bargaining from a position of weakness, not strength, and those people know that. I will break the pride of your power. I'll make your heavens like iron, your earth like bronze. Your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not produce its produce. Of course it can in the California drought. That's the biggest single agricultural state in the nation. It's going to spread. All this kind of thing is going to affect the Americans, the British, the Australian people, and elsewhere around the nations of Israel. The lost ten tribes, they're called. They're not lost to God. God didn't lose them. He knows exactly where they are. These things are happening. God's word stands. God's word stands. He's doing what he said he would do. God is real, brethren, and he's very real. His word is truth. We must learn to rely on God's word. These massive things that are happening are just what Mr. Armstrong said would happen when I came to college back in 1949. I've told you about all the other specific things he said. We would lose our sea gates. The Eastern European nations would break free from the Soviets. The Berlin Wall would come down. He said that years and years before they happened, many other things. The only one saying that. Why? Because he was keeping God's law. A good understanding have they who keep his commandments. These other churches did not understand that. They still don't understand it. They won't understand until Christ comes back and opens their mind or until they repent. But these things are happening. God's word is real. And you must rely on God's word. God will do what he has said that he will do. And I'm a living witness to that, having heard Mr. Armstrong say those things in person all over the British nation and all over America on campaigns where I heard it back in 1954 in person, night after night. In Hebrews 10.35, notice this. We've got to learn to believe God's word Yet many of us here in this room have a lack of faith. We do. A lot of you don't think about it, but you have a lack of faith. Our church as a whole has a lack of faith. All of God's people today around the world have a lack of faith. We're not getting the spiritual power that we used to have, and we need to understand that. So turn, if you would, at this point with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading here in verse 35. Verse 35. 
Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. I got to get. Here he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, Therefore, he's told the brethren, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Patience, hang in there. Endurance. So that you, after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Yes, Christ is coming. Again, that's unreal to some of our own brethren, I think. We talk about it. Billy Graham talks about it. A number of Protestant ministers talk about it. But most of their people, they go on as though that's never going to happen. And many of our people the same way. Just nice, a lot of nice words, I guess. Christ is going to come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Brethren, if you draw back from faith, God has no pleasure in you. As we see these massive things happening in world events, we'd better believe it. We'd better believe that God is alive, that God is real, that he inspired this book. There is a real God, and we've got to be willing to believe what he says in the Bible. And many don't really believe that. Their whole lives show that, to believe it. So a little while and he who is coming will come and the just shall live by faith. Live by faith all day long. And brethren, every phase and facet of your lives. But if anyone draws back my pleasure, soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Some of you may say you talked about faith two weeks ago. Well, I'm going to keep talking about it. I told you we're going to have a crusade for faith in this church. We are. We'd better believe it. And I hope you'll join with me in that. Focus on that. I sense if I am God's servant and you believe I'm God's servant, you believe as this is God's church, God is guiding me to try to stir up the faith of our church. And we'd better concentrate on faith and we'd better grow in faith. We'd better believe that God is there, really there, and believe what he says in his word and not water it down. And put his word into practice in every phase and facet of our life because we believe that God is there and we believe that his word is true. That he will back up what he promises and what he says, whether it's a promise or an indication, a prophecy of, of, of punishment for disobedience or whatever it is. We believe his word. We have faith that this is the word of God. Faith is the evidence or substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You don't see it. Once you get the result of your prayer, you don't need faith anymore. You must believe that God is there. And when you see a promise in this book, you'd better start believing that is real, that is going to happen. When God says, you do this and I'll bless you, you've got to believe that that's going to happen. And I mean, I hope all of you begin to think about it in every part of your lives. I've told you before, the major things are obvious. We know that if we kill, it's going to cause trouble. If we commit adultery, it's going to cause trouble if we do something big. But you've all got to get down below the biggest things that should be more obvious even to a carnal mind. God indicates in the Bible that, for instance, a woman ought to nurse her babies. That's a very clear example. Yet the doctors came out in my mother's generation saying that was not good. And my mother used to be very with it. 
And she'd say, they say, they say. And I finally told Mother, I said, they say seems to change every five or ten years. And that what you read in the paper changes. Then later they realized it was best for a woman. Why? Because God made us right. He didn't make us bad. When he talks about a woman nursing her babies, it's an indication that's good. It was always put into good context. God commanded Abraham to circumcise Isaac. They started circumcision way back before the law of Moses. He said that's good. But again, doctors by the hundreds of thousands were telling people it's not good, it's dangerous for a little boy, it's painful, unnecessary, barbaric. But they're beginning to realize now that it's a good thing. More and more doctors are coming to realize how important that is. And in Africa, they're stamping out venereal disease in, among millions of people by teaching them that practice because it brings about a fact of cleanliness that they would not have otherwise without me going into detail. Most of you know what I'm talking about. It's a very important thing, not some ritual. It's what God said. God indicates natural childbirth is good. And just the other day, they had a major article in the Wall Street Journal showing that even in Great Britain today, they're beginning to urge the women to have their children alone at home, not to go in the hospitals who are infected by all these drugs and where a little baby can get diseases. I remember it was that way when my older daughter Elizabeth was born back in 1957 in London. We went to this medical clinic or get advice from the National Health Service, whatever, and they actually, we had planned to anyway, but before we started talking, they encouraged us to have the baby at home. So the only ones who were there were me and a little Irish nurse and a British midwife. No doctor was there. He came by half an hour, an hour later and signed the certificate, but he didn't help with the liver at all. We had a very clean flat. Our American dollar went far. We had a nice place. It was clean, much better than a hospital. And so Elizabeth was born. And she's up in her 50s. Better not give her age. She may hit me with a rolling pin. But anyway, I'm kidding. She wouldn't mind. But uh, she's in her 50s now and a grandmother herself. And I don't think she's ever had any kind of shot in her life. I doubt if she ever had any kind of vaccination in her life. We didn't believe in that. And we didn't go to all kinds of, every time someone had some sniffles, we didn't rush them off and give them some kind of a shot. You do natural things, you trust in God, and you're better off in most cases. But anyway, there may be cases in emergency where for the law's sake or not to have your children taken away, you might do something like that. I'm not saying never get a vaccination, but most of my children didn't have any or had virtually none. And that's important. Why? Because God didn't design the human body wrong. The doctors treat childbirth like they used to at least. They treat it like a disease. It's not a disease. God Almighty did not have his son born in a hospital. He had Jesus Christ born in a manger. Think about it. Here's the creator of heaven and earth. Could he have caused Christ to be born in Pharaoh's palace or somewhere absolutely gorgeous? Of course he could. He didn't do that. Christ was born in the manger. These little things show the mind of God and show that the, this word is basically give you all kinds of clues and God's word is true. There's a whole way of life based on that. Way back before these modern health food people ever came along, Mr. Armstrong was teaching us in Ambassador College to eat fresh food and fresh fruits and vegetables. He said, eat food that will spoil but eat it before it will spoil. 
and he had in some of the early health food foods to even give talks at student assemblies. Do things that are natural. What do you mean natural? They're made according to the laws of God, the natural system without man intervening. It's what God did. And once man starts messing with it and putting artificial fertilizer and all kinds of shots and so on, it begins to do damage. Nearly everything man touches like that, he degradates. It goes down rather than up. So you have to figure that out somewhere along the line. The mind of God, the power of God, the word of God is true. And you're to live by that. Every phase and facet of your life is based on faith. You either believe that God is a real God. You say, well, God can stay out of this part of my life. No, he's not to stay out of any part of your life. I don't care what it is. He's to have control of your sex life. He's to have control of your child rearing. He's to have control of your marriage and the way you work toward husband between husbands and wives, the way you treat your neighbor, the way you treat everybody. Every phase of your life must be based on faith in God, faith in this word that is real, and there is a real God backing up what God says in his word. Then when you come to a need for a miracle, you've already practiced and practiced faith. You've learned to believe that God's word is right, that God's way is right, and he will say what he, do what he will say, and he will back up his word every time. That is, if you do your part, of course, and sometimes you're told to have faith. Jesus said again and again through the Gospels, you know this, he told the blind men that came to Jesus to be healed, and many, many others, according to your faith, be it unto you. Can you really believe? Well, brethren, many of us do not really believe. We're not even start to commence to have the healings we used to have back in 1949 and 51 and 55 when there was a whole lot more faith in the church of God. And that's been gone for a long time. A lot of you newer brethren, by newer I mean even the last 15 or 20 years, you didn't live back then. You didn't see that. I did. Mr. Armstrong radiated faith. He had a lot of faults, a human faults, but he radiated faith. And people sensed that. And it gave them faith. And there were more healings over and over and over again. I've told you about many of them. Dick Armstrong healing Howard Clark, who sat right over here Sabbath after Sabbath when I was preaching in the wheelchair, a quadriplegic, having terrible shrapnel wounds from the Korean War. You say he should have gone to a doctor. He went to dozens of doctors. He had the top doctors in all the naval hospitals all over. They gave him everything they could. He was a cripple for life until Dick Armstrong prayed over him. Pentecost weekend, 1958. And that very day he was healed. I told you that story, so I better not tell all the others. I've told you 10 or 15 of them over the years. I don't want to bore you, but God is real. I knew Dick so well and made it even more real to me because he's the one that took me to Europe and we spent three and a half months together back in 1954 going all over Europe and all the other things I did with him, hundreds of meals with him and fellowship. And here he prayed for Howard Clark. He said Dick was a towering spiritual leader. Well, I love Dick. I talk about good about him all the time. And I know all my friends know that, but he was not terribly strong. Mr. Armstrong said he grew more in that year, last week of his life, than all the rest of his life together. I know that. That he was in the hospital dying, and so he turned to God. He wasn't some evil guy, but he just was not terribly strong. And God dealt with him and drove him to his knees and drew him closer to God 
than he had ever been before, and his father said that a number of times. And I could concur with that as one of Dick's best friends. And we were best friends. After Dick died, where did his wife go? Where did Lois go? She came and stayed in my house. I was taking Dr. Benjamin Ray on a baptizing tour, and so she came and stayed with Margie in my house because we as a couple were so close. We were so close. So I loved Dick. I'm just saying you don't have to be a spiritual giant. A minister does not have to be a spiritual giant to heal you. If he's a servant of God and he believes in God and you believe in God, you can be healed if you believe. You've got to believe in this word. Many other things can happen to you and God will intervene in your life if you do your part and if you believe. And I've seen that over and over and I've been in God's church now for almost 66 years. These things happen, brethren, and they've happened all over the world among God's people. And most of you know that, but it's still we don't have that radiant faith that we ought to have and must have. So faith is the evidence of things not seen. He says down in verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated so he did not see death. Some people read right over there. I'm sure the most Protestants did. I did when I was a good Methodist. And president of my Sunday, I just thought, well, that's just one of those Bible stories. To me, it didn't have any meaning at all. But God said that. God took this man away. And apparently he was preaching righteousness. Probably God took him away to protect his life some way. It doesn't say how it got him out of there. God translated him before his testimony. Translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He obeyed God. He put faith in God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, please, brethren, believe this. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God will reward you and God will reward me if we diligently seek God. You notice that word diligence and notice the word seek. I know I've come to several times in my life where I realize I've gotten away from God and I have to start studying and praying and fasting and literally seeking God again. You go after God with hammer and tongs if you sense your spiritual life is lagging and you start drinking in this word and feeding on it and drinking it and thinking about it, thinking about it, praying about it. And you start meditating. You start fasting and crying out to God, God, help me. Rebuke Satan. Take these attitudes away. Get rid of them. Only you can do that. And you cry out to God. If you seek God, God will hear and God will answer. He always has. He always will. But it shows how he that's going to please God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, not half-heartedly, but diligently seek him. I've told you this before. Mr. Herbert Armstrong said a number of times he thought that one of the biggest problems of the prayers of God's people as a whole was that they did not put their heart in their prayer. That's the term he used. You just sort of have a routine prayer and you don't cry out to God passionately. Jesus cried out to God. He, he, he cried out to God so earnestly that great drops of blood came down. He cried out to God, beseeched God, and shook with, with fear, with tears, and so on at times when he prayed. And the Bible makes that very, very plain. He was passionate. Are you passionate about seeking God? Are you passionate about getting close to your Creator? 
Are you passionate about really believing in God? What's wrong with me? Why can't I really believe? Please pray about that. Ask God to help you believe. Study about it. Pray about it. Fast about it. Meditate about it. I'll tell you, this is really important. And if we don't do this, we're going to be in trouble. And we are in trouble, frankly. We're not getting as many healings. We're not getting as many blessings. I'll tell you, if we as a church right here in this room, and if you brethren in, in Perth, Australia, and down in Cape Town, and over in Bristol, England, and over in, in Wales, and Northern Ireland, and certainly London, and all the other areas of Europe, and Paris, and Brussels, if all of us really had faith in God and radiated that faith, we would begin to have more healings. We would begin to have more miracles. That news would gradually reverberate around. People would say, here are the people of God. God is real. God is real. They'd begin to understand that more than ever. They'd be excited about it. It would be a tremendous thing to just revolutionize the work of God if this church had that kind of faith. That would be more important than going on some great big television network, more important than some huge breakthrough in the Internet. We want all those things, but those things aren't even going to begin to commence to make the impact that would be if this church radiated faith and we had those kind of miracles from God Almighty. So I hope, brother, that you could begin to catch the vision and want to build faith and grow in faith. There is power in faith. I want to speak today about the power of faith. The power of faith. And I hope you can get it and really understand it will affect everything you think and say and do. It will affect the blessings on God's church. It will affect the growth of God's church and the growth and power of God's work. If we walk and live by that kind of faith that Peter had and Paul had. And you say, well, we can't all have the faith the apostles had. Okay, what about Philip? Stephen and Philip were just ordained deacons. And as I read you last time, Philip went down to Samaria and the people turned to God because they saw what Philip had done. He was healing the sick, he was casting out demons, and he was performing signs and wonders. Philip was used by Almighty God. Later he's talked about in Acts chapter 21 as an evangelist. So somewhere along the line he was ordained or recognized as an evangelist. He was never called an apostle, but a deacon, and then an evangelist, and he performed all those miracles. So people turned to God because of his miracles. They saw the signs of God. May God grant that they begin to see the signs of God in this church, this church, somewhere on this earth at the end of the age, there better be a church of God that radiates faith. There better be a church of God that radiates the kind of power where people are healed, demons are cast out. Brethren, we aren't having many demons right now. I know that. At least they're not making themselves manifest. But there's going to be a time, you know, read it back in Revelation 12. And many other times there's going to be a spirit war. And that may be literally within the next five or seven years, that spirit war. It may be 10 or 15 years. I'm not trying to set a date. I'm quite sure it'll be in less than 15 years. It'll be pretty soon in the lives of most of you young folks. It will be here. And you'll suddenly sense a lot of weird stuff going on more than ever in human history. People going nuts, killing each other for inexplicable reasons, strange torturings, strange sex practices, strange stuff all through society. You'll realize something's going on. The demons are set loose. We're going to have to have the spirit discernment to know and, and discern spirits. 
then we're going to have to have the power of God to cast out those spirits. Pray about it. Fast about it. Seek God about it. And God will give us power way beyond what we've had before. So I hope you can all understand that and get with the program, so to speak. Turn with me, brethren, now to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And I want to begin reading here in Revelation 3 and uh, in verse uh, verse 14. Revelation chapter 3 and... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place here myself. Revelation 3 and verse 14. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, most of you know that's the last era, the last church age Christ is describing. Right. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning, or mistranslated, should be beginner, the originator, in the original Greek is what it means, the originator of the creation of God. God was not the first beginning where God created Christ. He was the originator. God created all things by Jesus Christ, as it tells you in the first few books, first few chapters of John, chapter 1. He was the originator of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, but I could wish you were cold or hot. God wants you to be found fire. If you aren't, get out in the world, you know, freeze to death for a while, wake up. He wants you one way or the other, not just drifters, not just sort of hanging around God's church and not getting it. He wants you to be right in the middle of things with your whole heart in the work of God. I wish you were cold or hot. So then Jesus Christ is talking. He is love. He's our high priest at God's right hand. He understands. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He does understand us, but he says, because you're neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. That's not the Protestant Jesus. They talk about little Lord Jesus away in a manger. This is the Christ of the Bible. The living head of this church. The one who is the high priest of God. The coming king and governor of the universe. I will spit you out of my mouth if you can't get excited. If you can't be stirred up. I counsel you to God, God, but he said, because you say, verse 17, I am, have need of nothing and wealthy and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You might say, well, Mr. Meredith, you, you've told us that most of us are Philadelphian. Well, I haven't put it exactly that way. I think we have a greater percentage of Philadelphians than most other groups, hopefully any other church of God, but we don't want to brag. We're human. But the church of God as a whole was projected to be Laodicean. It shows that very clearly in so many, many places in the New Testament. And this is the Laodicean age. We're the ones surrounded. And you young kids, you grew up with stuff I didn't grow up with. I'm glad I was blessed in that way. I didn't have any television. Saw my first TV at age 18 out in Hollywood. There isn't any, wasn't any back in the Midwest, just in Hollywood and New York was just starting to come in in 1948. It didn't become popular. Most people didn't have TV in their homes until 1954, 56, somewhere along like that. I didn't get polluted. Today a kid could just punch the TV button and some young boy can push the wrong part of it and suddenly see naked women making out with each other. You know that. I guess you know it. The mothers who have children usually figure that out. They've got to block that off from their kids. Their boys are watching vile stuff by the hour if mama's not watching them. 
and keeping up with it. They bring the whole world straight into your living room. The Internet does that even more. All kinds of rotten, foul things. Satan's whole society is put right in your mind, right in front of your eyes, right in the number of eight or ten-year-old little boy or girl over and over again. So it's harder for you to think about the things of God and focus on that. I'm glad that when I was 8, 10, and 15 years old, I could go out in the chat piles out north of Joplin and look up at the sky and be in the sunshine and the rain and put up a kite and watch up there and think God was up there beyond the clouds. And there wasn't any TV. We only went to movies once a week on Saturday afternoon matinee because we weren't converted. Of course, we didn't keep the Sabbath. But that's all we did. And at the, at the, in, the, in the movie, what did we see? Well, we saw, you know, Shirley Temple or a little orphan Annie or we saw Hop, Hop Along Cassidy chasing the Indians or something like that. It was pretty innocent compared to today. And it's a different world we were living in. You don't realize you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Most of you know that talk about trials, tests, persecution, powerful persecution. Those who are laid sin are going to have to go through that, brethren. They need something to shake them, to wake them up. Is God mean? As Mr. Uh, Wakefield was asking, is God fair? No, he's very fair. He wakes people up for their own good, not because he's mean. Otherwise, they drift right along and let Satan put his complete nature inside of them. He's got to wake them up. I counsel you to buy of me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. See, the purpose is to make them rich spiritually and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and you anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, you folks in God's church, not the devil's church, God's church. Laodicean is, is God's church. But you may need to anoint your eyes that you may see. They don't get it. They're just drifting along. They're in some church of God group, but they don't get it. They don't have the profound fear of God. They're watering things down. They don't really believe God. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing the stuff that they're doing. As many as I love, he doesn't hate them. Jesus is talking. If Christ loves you, he said, I rebuke and chasten. He has to spank us. Christ is our elder brother the living head of the church, acting for God the Father. He rebukes and chases every son, every, every younger brother in his case. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door. Christ is standing at the door outside these Laodiceans and knock. He's trying to get their attention one way or the other. I hope he's getting your attention right now because some of you are like that. You're not on fire from God. You don't fully trust God. You're not being healed. Many of you don't even go to the minister. You'll go to the doctor and almost forget about going to the minister. You just go there as an afterthought. And you'll break God's physical laws again and again and again and poke a whole bunch of dessert and a whole bunch of food as food is in your mouth and then wonder why you're sick. You're supposed to obey God's physical laws and spiritual laws. And if you break some physical law, repent, tell God you're sorry, but you show your sorrow by what? By changing. Repent means change. Get this. Repent means change. You've got to change if you keep breaking God's physical laws. And some of you in this church break God's spiritual laws over and over. 
and one law that you're breaking is making you sick. Some of you, you have these raging emotions and you hate people. You're always mad at somebody. Why? That's not right. That gives you cancer. That gives you high blood pressure. That gives you heart disease. All kinds of things. The doctors have proved that. Sometimes your disease is caused it's not what you're eating. It's what is eating you. Your wrong emotions are, are lawless. And they reflect a lack of love. A lack of trust in God. A lack of kindness toward other human beings. You've got to repent of those wrong attitudes. Those wrong attitudes will make you sick. Believe it. God's word is very definite on these things. So Christ is trying to get in. He, op- he asks to be in. But if anyone opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. So he'll, let, he'll come into your life if you let him. But other scriptures show you're supposed to seek God. Seek him with all your heart. Don't just quietly let him in. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. A tremendous opportunity. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Brethren, I hope that all of you can wake up. Many of us are very weak in these various aspects of our attitudes about not trusting God in so many different ways. And I hope that you can begin to understand we're in mortal danger, danger of death, eternal death, if we don't wake up from that. Turn to Revelation 21. I read that to you a few weeks ago either two or six or sometime a recent sermon, but we'll keep reading it again from time to time. You need to meditate on this scripture. Revelation 21, verse 7. Not he who drifts along, but he who overcomes, really overcome yourself, overcome the world, overcome Satan the devil. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, they just can't believe God and they're afraid of obeying God. Well, God's not fair and God's this and God's that, they'll say. The cowardly, notice, unbelieving. The second thing God's put in here that he's really down on are those who lack faith. Those who not, not really love God. They think they love God. But if you love God, you'll believe God. You'll know he's there. You'll know he's right. Therefore, you will do what he says. You will do what he says as an act of faith. The unbelieving, abominable, murders, sexually immoral, he puts them right along with the unbelievers and the idolaters and so on. They will have their part. It is part of their part. Notice, in the lake which burns with fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. The unbelieving and cowardly, they just can't make themselves trust in God. Cowardly, they don't believe that God is there, so they rush to the nearest human solution. And over and over in the Old Testament, God shows that those who did that often died prematurely. Mr. Armstrong had that in his booklets, and most of you older brethren have read them. I certainly have. I've been rereading that too. It's powerful. Cowardly, They can't trust in God and they're afraid of putting their trust in God. So we're in mortal danger if we don't really learn to do that. But again, uh, in Hebrews uh, 10, if you turn back there again, in Hebrews chapter 10, 
in verse 38. He says in verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. You don't just have faith once or twice. You live by faith. It's a way of life all day long. That's what you live by. You live by breathing air every day. You live by eating food and drinking water every day. And you'd better live by faith every day of your life or you won't be in God's kingdom. I mean it. You won't be there. The just shall live by faith. Now, the, But if anyone draws back, they're cowardly. They're unbelieving. They draw back. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back, Paul writes, uh, to those early Christians in, in Israel who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So again, we've got to really learn to reflect that faith and believe God and walk by faith in every part of our lives. So I hope we can all think about all the facets of our lives. We're to live by faith in every one of them. We should have the fear of God and the faith that God is there and the faith that God is right not to commit immorality, not ever to commit adultery and cheat on our mate. It's a horrible thing. It's a cheap, rotten thing. But millions and millions of men and women do that every day in America. You know that. It's not, and in God's church we have it from time to time. And fornication is part of adultery. Young people going out and having sex before marriage. You're cheapening your future marriage. You should believe. You say, well, I want to have fun. Well, yes, all of us want to have fun. Everyone has a good life. You're going to have the greatest sex, being very plain, but the greatest joy and the greatest fulfillment if you use sex the way your Creator said to use it, in marriage. And a man is to delight in his wife. And he's to be enraptured with her love. It tells you that back in Proverbs. He's very plain about it. I won't read all the scriptures. Some of you know what it comes to there. You're to love each other, to cherish each other. You're one flesh in every way after you're married, but not before you're married. And God will give you a great, great deal more joy if you don't cheapen that by dragging sex right through the, the sewer pipe. So you drank that whole thing that God intends to be a beautiful relation between a man and a woman and to bring them together. And you drag that through the sewer pipe and then you say, well, that's not very good. That stinks. Well, anything dragged through a sewer pipe sinks, stinks. Yes, it does. You might get some temporary pleasure, but it's not going to be right. It's not going to be good in the end. And the whole society will break down if people do that kind of thing. So by faith, you obey God and staying clear away from every form of immorality. You have faith to believe that when God says he will bless the Sabbath keeper, and I'm not going to read all these scriptures, most of you know them. Read back in, in, in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, he will bless the Sabbath keeper. He blesses us if we keep holy his day. You're not to think your own thoughts or do your own works on the Sabbath day. God makes that very plain in Isaiah chapter 58 and many other scriptures. Do you have faith that God means that? I do. I don't have it perfectly, but I think many of us do, but some really don't get it. Therefore, they do what? They'll watch ball games. They'll watch Hollywood movies. They'll watch violent movies. Some of our leading ministers in the past have done that. Some of you know about it. I won't mention their names, but they'll actually watch some of these rotten things right on the Sabbath day. 
they're not in our church today, by the way. I'm talking about worldwide toward the end as it got worse. They didn't have faith that the Sabbath is a holy day. And their behavior showed that. You believe that God made this day holy. Today is a holy day. You try to keep it holy by the thoughts that you have, by studying God's word in the morning on the Sabbath day, by getting an extra prayer, extra meditation to try to walk with God more on that day. It's all right to read the paper and see the world news fulfilling prophecy, but I probably read the paper more than I should, frankly. That's a hobby, and I just get to reading it. I don't read the funny papers of the sports page, but I just read the paper sometimes. That's a sin I have as I need to repent of. Sometimes you'll get yourself hooked, you know, watching even news on TV. I don't do that on the Sabbath, but other nights you just watch a lot of stuff. It's more than you need. But it's all right to watch world news and all right to watch certain sports through the, day, the week, of course. But on the Sabbath day, it's a holy day. It belongs to God to think about the things of God. But if you do break those things, then you're dishonoring God. You show that you don't believe what God says. You're showing God by your actions that you despise his Sabbaths. You despise his holy days. You trample your dirty feet all over the Sabbath. Why? Because God is not real to you. And therefore you will re watch that kind of stuff on the Sabbath day or do other kinds of things to show that you treat his Sabbath or you treat his holy days cheaply. Many things like that. Another thing that many of God's people do, you will steal from God. You will literally steal from your creator. Turn with me back to Malachi. Some of you know what I'm going to read, but a lot of us read it and then just try to pretend it's not there and don't pay any attention to it. But you'd better pay attention to it. It is very, very important. And God makes it in this sort of a bridge book right between the Old Testament and the New. And certainly it's talking to us today in every way. Back in, uh, in uh, Malachi, and uh, it's in chapter... Uh, Chapter 3, he says in verse 8, chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Think about that. <clears throat> My voice is kind of acting up. I've had a lot of health problems this last week. I've been a little bit weaker, so you hope you'll put up with me. My voice is apparently going bad here. <clears throat> Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? Here's how you steal from God in tithes. Some of you tithe barely. Some of you don't even tithe. You're in this room. Some of you don't tithe through our employees. And offerings. We have a lot of people who could give a whole lot. They don't. They just barely give a tithe. They give their tithe plus maybe 2% or 1% or something. We're tightwads with who? With our creator, the very one that gives us life and breath. He said, you rob me in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Then God commands, he doesn't ask, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and prove me now herewith. Put God to the test on this. Will God bless you if you keep the Sabbath? Will God bless you if you love your wife and are faithful to your wife or your husband? Will God bless you if you learn to train your children the way God Almighty says what he means and means what he says? 
the same thing here. Put him to the test. He's not afraid. Prove me now herewith if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there may not be room enough to receive it. This man that wrote in this letter, I didn't know Mr. Ames had such a letter while I was preparing this sermon, but he happened to read it here today about this man, remember, that, that just sent in this extra money recently because God gave him some great blessing. He sent it his tithe, and apparently it was a, one of the first times, and he was very, very enthusiastic and grateful because God immediately blessed, blessed him. But when we obey God, brethren, think about it. To the degree we obey God, to the degree we trust in God, God does bless us. And someday I will die. And some of you smart alecks out there, you may say, well, God didn't let Mr. Meredith live on. He's punishing him. Now, punishing me after 85 years traveling around the world, having two beautiful wives, having all kinds of opportunities to serve and do interesting things for 85 years. That's not punishment. Some weird guy got out. I heard of two or three, but one talked to me or wrote me and called me. I forget what it was and talked about God's judgment on Mr. Armstrong when Mr. Armstrong died. I thought, what? Mr. Armstrong died at age 93 and a half in his own home, sitting in his wife's favorite chair and, and had a magnificent life serving God's people, meeting kings and emperors all over the world, had three homes and all the blessings he had. No, if that's punishment, give me some of that punishment. I'd like to live eight more years and have those kind of blessings. No, he was not punished at all. Magnificent blessing on that man that really started this work. And God did bless him. He made human mistakes. But brethren, again, I want to tell you, that man had faith. He radiated faith. When I talked to the early brethren up in, up in uh, Oregon, when I went up there to pastor the Portland church, and talked to Close Shepherd, a deacon, S, and her wife, her husband, Arch Shepherd, Mr. and Mrs. Starkey. Mrs. Starkey was the first paid employee of the work of God. You'll read about her in Mr. Armstrong's autobiography. Old Mrs. Johnson down in Oregon City, and many other people who had known Mr. Armstrong and Mrs. Armstrong, and they called them sometimes Herbert and Loma. They weren't, we didn't have as formality as much back there, but they loved them. And I would check up on Mr. Armstrong. I came from Missouri, the show me state, and I was still kind of new, and I just wanted to be sure. I said, did these things really happen? And they said, yes, they really did. Some of them saw those healings. They saw how Mrs. Armstrong was sick under death a couple times and how God healed her. They saw how Mr. Armstrong walked over the hills of Oregon and had to put a pasteboard in his shoes. He didn't have the money to get the shoes half sold. He didn't have enough money to eat properly. But God always took care of him. God always took care of him. He always had enough to eat. He never starved. And God blessed him. God healed through him. He radiated faith. And the brethren, when they told you those stories, I, I really, I mean it. I, 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 I sense they, these people were kind of inspired when they told me about these healings and these blessings that occurred back then. They had a sense that really happened, kind of inspired them. How this man and his wife who had a different way of life than most of them. Most of them were very humble folk. But Mr. Armstrong had a certain degree of education, had been with high-level chairman of big banks in Chicago and New York and all kinds of things. But he got down and prayed with them on his knees in their house, and many of them were healed. And they knew it. They saw it. 
God was working because he was humble at that point. He was crying out to God, serving God, believing God. And God answered in power. And that's what got this work going. This is a work of faith, as Mr. Armstrong said. And I want it to continue on as a work of faith. No, God says he'll bless you. He says in verse 11, I've rebuked the devourer for your sake, so he will not destroy the fruit of your ground and so on. God will bless your crops. In Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, some of you young people try to get a copy of it. Read volume one, especially. Volume two talks about me about five times, and that's encouraging to see my name, but I'm not in volume one. It's far more important, though, to read volume one because that's the early part he wrote completely himself and talked about how God called him, used him, blessed him, heard prayers. That is an inspiring example of faith in that volume one of the autobiography is the faith builder. Grow in faith in every way you can. I gave you five reasons how to grow in faith last time. But use those things. Use those tools and grow in faith. So I hope that you will. And so then people will say, though, some of you have felt in your heart, many in God's church felt after the bad things happened in the church back in the 1970s, and one young man had his sins come out, and people got discouraged, and they didn't trust him, and they didn't trust Mr. Armstrong as much. Well, there are mistakes. God was allowing human beings to make mistakes. You say, how could it be God's church? Well, how could Israel be God's kingdom when the king of the kingdom got this woman and committed adultery with her and then sent her husband into battle to get him killed? Do you follow me? Do you follow me? God allows his servants to make mistakes. But then David's son died prematurely and he begged God for a, a week on his face in prayer and fasting and God allowed that child to die and then God told David violence wars troubles will never leave you from now on and sure enough the rest of David's life he had those as a punishment but because he cried out to God so hard and was so good in that job for that reason God in perfect wisdom left him there but he punished him and punished him because of that horrible sin you read Psalm 51, you newer brethren. If you haven't read it, read Psalm 5-1, David's prayer after his sin. He says, I don't have anything to excuse myself. I'm guilty, totally guilty, he told God. Clean me up and scrub me out, David said. And he meant it. So brethren, God's real. These things come on sometimes and God allows problems, but he's still God. So people say, well, I don't know about God because God doesn't bless us every day after we put faith in him. Of course he doesn't. He'll try and test you. He'll work with you. But God says in verse 13, your words have been harsh against me, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And some people in the church have said, it is vain to serve God. What profit is if we have kept his ordinance or walked as mourners, in other words, been fasting and all? So now we call the proud blessed. Some people think the proud are very blessed because they have more money or have this or that. For those who do wickedness are raised up, yet those who tempt God go free. God seems to be allowing the wicked to prosper. He does that for a while in this world, but he's testing us. But in the end, he will bless us with all eternity. And he will bless us specifically by healing, by divine intervention, by better homes, better families, better marriages, all kinds of stuff, to the degree that we put our faith and trust in him. You say, I put my faith and trust in him, but then you cheat on your wife. 
I put my faith and trust in him, but you steal God's tithe. If you won't tithe, then you won't give generous offerings. That's not putting faith and trust in God. I put my faith and trust in God, but people think I can't believe that God knows how to rear children. What? God does know how to children. And he tells us to chasten your son while it's time. Don't be afraid to do that. You've got to spank him. You've got to teach him lessons. You've got to help him wake up. Otherwise, he will go the wrong way. He indicates that justice deferred is justice denied. He says a, a speedy justice is denied. It's going to cause a lot of trouble. Night after, I don't mean night after night, but morning after morning when Mr. Davis and I are coming into work or at night when we're coming home in his van, we hear the NPR. And for several days, they've gone on and on about this murderer in Colorado. Remember, they shot all these people, what was it, three years ago or three and a half years ago. They're still going on and on about the judgment and about the jury debating. And yet they all admit everyone saw him do it. There wasn't any question. Isn't that wonderful? They're finally going to do something, maybe after three years. No! That is horrible. In ancient Israel and even in tomorrow's world, if God does have the physical judgments carried out, we don't know how it's going to be done in every case. That man should have been hung about a, a day or two later. Maybe the next morning he should have been swinging from the public square and then the whole city was like, wow, wow, justice is, comes right now. We better be good. But if you don't do that, you get clever lawyers and the lawyers like all that. They get more money and they can keep arguing and arguing. The judges and the justices, the judges and the lawyers know each other. They play this game and delay and delay and delay and the justice is never done. They don't trust God. They don't believe that God understands justice. They don't believe that God tells us how to rear our children. They don't understand how God tells us how to have marriage. They don't believe all that. I'll tell you, God does know that. He's the one that made us male and female. He's the one that made us be able to have little children. He does understand. You've got to trust that he knows what's right. But they call the proud blessed, and the people often think that the people in the world are better off. Some are say, start saying that here at the end of, the, of this age. Some of you think the Lord delays his coming. I know that. I've been talking about it for 60-some years in the ministry. I guess I've been in the ministry 60, little over 63 years since I started out full-time, and I've been telling that since the first month. I can say, well, it's been 63 years that Christ is not here. Well, Abraham started obeying God way back 3,500 years ago, but he knew Christ was coming, but he didn't know when. He didn't know when. He put his trust in God, and he believed in that there would be a, a city whose builder and maker is God. It tells us that back in Hebrews. He put in his faith in that invisible God because he had that kind of faith, even under the point he was willing to kill his own son with his own hand, knowing that God was able to raise him from the dead, as it says in Hebrews 11. He knew that. He was sure God would take care of it, but he thought, I might have to kill him first. God, he let Abraham literally get his hand with the knife and just ready to move quickly and slit his son's throat to bleed quickly to death so it wouldn't suffer, no doubt. Abraham was ready, and two seconds later, Isaac may have been dead. Suddenly this voice comes out powerfully. Stop! Don't hurt the lad. He hears, sees this ram caught in the bushes here nearby and realizes God has provided another sacrifice. And God then says, because you've obeyed me, you really fear God. I will bless you with every blessing and bless your descendants and you'll have the gates of your enemies and all the rest of it. Wow! 
all back there in Genesis 22. Those things happened. Do you believe those things? Do you believe those things? I don't have perfect faith, but I believe it. I think that absolutely happened. God did do that. And God is testing you and me right up to the last minute. Sometimes it seems like he's not going to heal. He's not going to answer. But he will if we put our faith and trust in him, unless he has an overriding purpose to allow some people to die. He allowed my wife to die recently here, but she was up near 70. It doesn't say you'll all live to be exactly 70. Remember back in, in 2 Kings, I think it is, it shows how Elijah died. Elisha, I mean. Elisha died of the disease with which he died. And he was perhaps less than 70 years old, it indicates. Was he being punished? No. Just after they buried him, remember some Arab traders, Ishmaelites came by, and uh, they, they, a man died among them. They lowered that man's body down. And when that body touched Elisha's body, he was revived supernaturally. Showed the power of God, the power of faith. God was there. Yet he died, let Elisha die. He let a number of his servants die before they were age 70. You die about age 70. About age 70. Most people do die between age 65 and 85. If they live beyond 85, they're really living on borrowed time. And any time beyond 70 is borrowed time, of course, technically speaking. You're very blessed. God is good. He will always keep his word. So then those who feared God and who obeyed God, who did the things God warns us about in this book, being faithful to your wife, to not break the covenant you've made with the wife of your youth, to not steal from God by stealing tithe and so on. Then those who fear the eternal spoke to one another. Verse 16, and the Lord listened to them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the eternal and who meditated on his name. Do you meditate on God's name? God is there. Christ is right now at the God's right hand. He's watching us this, this, in this room. There are perhaps more of us in the true church of God meeting at this particular time than anyone else. I don't know that, but perhaps there are. Over three, over 250 of us here, 275, I guess. So this might be the largest single group on earth at this time. Of course his eyes are on this place. He knows where we are. Every hair of our head is numbered. How could God do that? Well, the other night, Mr. Wakefield was showing this little tiny strip of something and he said he can record everything that we've published in the whole Spanish work, all the booklets and copies of all the broadcasts and all kinds of stuff on this little flimsy thing. I thought, wow, if man can do that, what kind of God do we have? Is God able to do more than man? Of course, he can do a million times more than man. Can God know how many hairs of you, your head? Well, think he could show you that little sneaky little thing he has there with all that information on it. It's amazing. Yet little puny men on earth, little worms crawling around and strutting and thinking how important they are, they can do that. And the great creator of the heavens and the earth, the great God that made your mind, the great God that made Einstein's mind and all the other great men of inventors and all and so on, he is the one who created this earth. He's the one who has total power. We've got to know that. So the, God listened when they feared God and spoke to one another. So a book of remembrance was written before those who feared the eternal who meditate on his name. Think about God's greatness, God's power. If we meditate on how great God is, how great thou art, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make 
them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So if you meditate on God's name and you believe God and you show God that you believe by acting on it, faith without works is dead. You've got to do what God says and show that you believe by acting on God in every phase of your life. Have your son circumcised. Why? Because God said so. And you know it will work out. Nurse your child because God indicates that is right. Forgive your mate even if they make a mistake because God shows you should forgive one another. Do this, do that. Every phase, not just one thing. All these things. Walk and live by faith in every part of your life and believe that God is there. Believe that he's right. Then you shall discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. You'll learn where God is. You'll learn how great God is. And you'll have faith in the living God. So, brethren, you've really got to do this. Remember again, and let's turn once again to Hebrews, if you would. Turn again to Hebrews chapter, chapter 10. And I want to read that one last time, and I hope and pray all of you will really meditate on this part of the Bible. He says, therefore, at verse 35, do not cast away your confidence. Don't give up on God. Don't water down what God says because something happens you don't understand. Don't give up, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise yet a little while, and he who is coming will come. Christ will come. He's probably going to come here on this earth within the next 10 or 15 years, but it may be a little longer. We don't know. But he's certainly going to come within the lifetimes of the vast majority of you younger people that are under 50. He will be here. Everything's going to change. People will then know that God is right. They'll know that God is real. You're pioneers. Let's put our faith and trust in that invisible God. So you've got to have that faith in God and believe that he's there. He will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And if any man draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Please, brethren, let's have a crusade, a crusade in this church to build the depth of faith that we have never had before in the last 15 to 25 years or more. Walk and live by faith. I charge you. I'm asking you as the human leader of this church, I charge you to begin to seek God. Begin to seek God in deep, profound Bible study. Faith comes by hearing the word of God and prayer and meditation and meditate on his name and put your faith and trust in God and let's have a crusade and mean it to build a degree of faith in this church that we have never had before. And then God will bless us as he has never blessed us before. And we will radiate power. And God will people show people. And they will begin to know that there is a real God. And he has genuine servants on this earth. And they will listen. And this work can have power. The power of faith. And the power of God to show that he honors that faith. As we walk with God. And as we walk and live by faith. Faith in God's word. And believe what he says.